0: Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience, 20 minutes that simplifies the complex job of managing and leading people and inspires you to take action on what you probably already know, to build and sustain a smart and healthy business. Here's your host, Ed Epley, to introduce this week's guest and business leader. Welcome
1: to the Ed Epley Experience, your chance in 30 minutes or less to get at least one proven and practical idea to run a more successful and sustainable business. We have a special guest with us today. As always, I made a few notes about what I admire and respect about our guest. She's courageous. I know she's stood up to uh, some really challenging situations in her job. She's intense. There's no getting around that. She's focused. She's hungry. And she's an INTJ like yours truly in the Myers-Briggs. So I think that's one of the reasons we get along so well, is we, we get to the point pretty quickly. And as a result, we don't waste each other's times in most cases. So I, at least I hope that's my goal in my interactions with her. She's Margaret Sotas. She's the VP of HR and labor relations for PSA Airlines. Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience. Margaret.
2: Well, thank you. Thank you for asking me to join.
1: Yeah, it's exciting to get you on here. We probably need to provide some clarity to the audience. PSA Airlines, most cases, they don't know they're flying PSA when they're flying PSA. So who do they think they're flying when they're on your airline?
2: American Airlines.
1: <laughs> yeah. And PSA is based in Dayton, Ohio. What's the history of the airline?
2: Well, we were a uh, wholly owned of U.S. Airways. Okay. And then through the merger with American, we became one of the three wholly Ones and we fly under the American Eagle brand.
1: Okay. And when did the merger with U.S. Air and American take place?
2: It was prior to my arrival. 20 years ago? No, I want to say like 2014-ish.
1: Not that long ago.
2: No. Mm-mm.
1: The time in the airline industry just is befuddling to me because it's been around so long and yet so many seismic changes in the last 10 years and not the least of which is the pandemic that you've been operating in. As we're doing this, folks, she's not in Dayton, Ohio. She's in Wisconsin. So how does a gal from Wisconsin become the VP of HR and labor relations at PSA?
2: I guess an interesting path.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Most of Um, them are.
2: (laughs) I started my career out of school knowing I wanted to work in labor relations. I spent quite a bit of time in manufacturing, and I was recruited to join an organization in Appleton, Wisconsin. And it was a privately held airline called Air Wisconsin Airlines. And at that time, they were also flying for US Airways. And I spent a good portion of my career there progressing from manager to director to managing director. I left there and went to Connegra Foods. Big uh, change. It was a big change back to manufacturing, but I was able to work in my hometown and my son was entering high school. It was just a great opportunity to work for a large organization and make an impact.
1: And that organization's cadence for doing business was not nearly as rapid as PSA or Air Wisconsin, because yeah. that's a totally different business model.
2: Yeah, it is. And I joined when they were going through an acquisition of the plant that I was working in. And unfortunately, a couple of years in, they decided to close that facility. And I found myself looking for a new opportunity. And it was about the same time PSA was looking because they were growing and wanted to bring somebody in with some industry experience and somebody who's led change and growth. Yeah. I applied. I met Dean. (laughs) I met the team there and I thought this is great.
1: Dean Flannery is the CEO, and this is just to embarrass him. I've tried to get him on this event, uh, the Ed Epley Experience, a time or two, and we just not made it work out. So I said to heck with him, and I went to the real power behind the throne anyways, and (laughs) Margaret. So you've been in smaller, you've been to larger. Do you think you're better suited for larger organizations?
2: I think I'm suited for change. Okay. So, depending on what the organization is going through, what they need, I have, I think, a a history of building a team, making an impact, being able to design programs and HR structure from systems to budget to programs. So, that I think is where I focus. Okay. And I think it's been a great opportunity that each organization has been able to be a little bigger than the previous. And it just expands my horizon from what's available.
1: Yeah. Do you think you'd be bored in a business that was very stable then? You know, three to 5% growth a year and just it's, every year is pretty much a variation of the next?
2: I do. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like, yeah. hey, I'd like to slow down. <laughs> but then I get bored and then yeah. your mind wanders.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if that's an INTJ characteristic. I don't know, because I think we operate with patterns and themes and we see the obvious problem very quickly, even if we're not right. We're pretty <laughs> convinced we know what it is. Yeah. Let me ask you this. In your role, and you have both for your flight attendants, your mechanics, uh, you've got labor organizations that you, you know, you're a unionized workforce to a great degree, Correct. Correct. Okay. So how do you manage that, that every three to five years you're negotiating contracts and then those can sometimes be acrimonious and challenging and then the next, you know, that's signed and now it's okay, now we all got to be one big team. How does that work?
2: I have found if you build a good relationship, it's just kind of the foundation of it. The process of those negotiations is usually slower. Yeah. So even though it opens, it could take two or three years to get an agreement. Right. Right. And that's not abnormal. But I will say with COVID, it felt like we were in constant negotiations. I'll bet. Yeah. We needed to change certain components of our rules or our processes to support that immediate change in schedules and flying. We negotiated leave programs. It was pretty night and day staying connected.
1: Yeah. Do you find that... These kinds of, what would you call them, emergencies, for lack of a better term, do they make your job simpler or just harder? You know, when there's a pandemic, kind of all the other stuff falls away and we just got to do these few things, become the hue and cry. I'm just curious whether that makes your job harder or easier when it's all said and done.
2: I think it's harder because you still want all those other things to get done, Yeah, (laughs) even though you have to reprioritize. Yeah, And then the sense of urgency... And the critical impact on the business is just that much greater.
1: How has the team held up, the executive team held up in the last 12 months for all intents and purposes now? You know, we worked pretty hard, thanks to you and Dean, to to try to build a cohesive and aligned team. How's that gone in the last 12 months? I would think you've been challenged to stay united, to stay unified in one voice.
2: We have. Moving out of the offices. Yeah. Everybody being remote. Those had challenges. But, you know, we kept the cadence of our meetings, our check-ins. Some of those had to, at the beginning, we had them on Saturday and Sunday too. Really? (laughs) There was just so much change. Yeah. And just being aware. So we had our first in-person meeting in almost a year last month.
1: Felt pretty good?
2: It did. Yeah. You get a different sense of engagement. We got to celebrate one of our executive team members' five year anniversary and you know, just all this banter that can come with it. You just build that relationship.
1: For our audience's (laughs) benefit, there is a lot of banter with this group. There there is a lot of give and take and, and good spirited. So that that's neat. You've seen some great leaders, some bad ones. I don't want to know names, but when you're around a bad one, what were their characteristics? When they failed, what went
2: wrong? I would say it's communication. The situational awareness of how they're updating their teams, how they're talking to people, recognizing when maybe to pause and get engaged. Maybe they're not really aware of taking care of that team or they don't communicate the why behind something. Mm -hmm. They're just out there giving direction and not motivating.
1: As you've progressed in your career, it occurs to me that there was... You weren't always a person who could whisper in the CEO's ear when you could offer advice and say, you know, as you get ready to have this conversation with this person, you may want to consider this. So when you first got into that role, how hard was it for you to play that consultant, internal consultant to your CEO or president or owner?
2: Yeah, it wasn't hard because I always had that role just at different levels. Okay. So maybe I was partnering and coaching managers, all right. directors, peers, <laughs> you know, senior leaders. So it, it was very comfortable.
1: Were egos less of an issue lower with lower level managers than with, you know, executive C-suite people or are they are pretty much the same at all levels?
2: Pretty much the same at all levels. It might even be worse at a lower level just depending on the culture. That's possible. And the environment. Yeah. yeah. And I hate to throw this mix in there, but You know, sometimes you're a woman in a man's (laughs) environment and you're trying to coach. Yeah. And that can be difficult, too.
1: I can imagine. So do you feel like you've run into a lot of glass ceiling in your career?
2: I have, mostly in the manufacturing world. And I think that's why I, I enjoyed coming back into the airline. You know, it's fast paced. It's more about performance, putting up numbers. You know, many times you're you're still the only female in the room.
1: <laughs> right, right.
2: <laughs> but it's not noticeable.
1: Yeah. Well, and the workforce is so much more diverse
2: mm-hmm. than it than it would be is. in a
1: manufacturing environment. I would think. I, I could be wrong about that, but it seems like it would be to me. When you've been around the good leaders, the better, the above-average leaders, what were some of their characteristics, and what did they do that made them stand out in a positive way?
2: They were willing to acknowledge when they were wrong, they would switch direction, they were good listeners, and they always focused on the good of the team, like what what did the organization need? Mm -hmm. It wasn't a personal focus or gain.
1: So as you look at what they are doing to be effective and, and you look at the things that make bad leaders, bad leaders, I'm curious about how you've continued to try and grow in your role. I'm curious about, is it just staying compliant with everything <laughs> or is it is it more about, I feel like in your role as you've progressed to bigger and bigger companies, you have to up your game in terms of business acumen and stuff like that. I could be wrong, but what's been the focus for you to continue to grow?
2: I think that's exactly it. The operational side, understanding and being able to ask those questions, the, I know your business, the ability to show that you're not just going to implement the best newest tool that's out there. You're going to do what is needed. You're going to go survey those leaders. You're going to understand their operation. You're going to partner with them. That's been very, very important. And I think the labor side of my role has really helped me understand and grow in that from the very beginning. You get a sense of what's important to the team members, what's important to the leaders.
1: (laughs) When did you do your first contract negotiation? How long ago?
2: I sat in, <laughs> I begged to sit in yeah. on my very first one, my first year out of school. So the first company I worked for, I just, can I come? Can I take notes? Can I listen?
1: <laughs> and you remember at the beginning audience, I said she was intense and <laughs> and you can't imagine how hard she would have pushed even, yeah, I, I would have hated to have been the, your boss or other people because yeah. you would have just not <laughs> let go of that. I can see that.
2: But being able to actively participate. Yeah would probably have been about four or five years after that. Okay. And then it was probably another three or four years, eight years into my career before I was really sitting second or first chair.
1: All right. Now, here's the question. I've never had the opportunity to ask anybody. So all things considered, would you rather work with the unionized workforce because it does provide some simplicity once you have the contract, or would you rather work with a non-unionized workforce? And if you don't want to answer the question, don't feel like you have to answer it. But I've asked that question offline with different people and I've gotten totally different answers. It's not, it's not all the same.
2: I've always had a good experience and I would always say a unionized workforce and primarily because I felt like they helped be an accountability partner to good leaders.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: So not that I could use that as a tool, but Hey, there's one other party involved in this situation that's going to hold us accountable for doing the right thing whether that's from a discipline or a procedure or a policy or pay, it's just another accountability partner.
1: Yeah. And having that backstop can help with accountability is so often lacking. I get that. When you think about the person who's most impacted, the way you manage and lead, you don't have to tell us who if you don't want, but what was the impact they had on you?
2: I honestly think this goes back to my mom. Yeah. My mom and dad very blue-collar union employees, Mm -hmm. and I spent years growing up in car rides (laughs) listening to them talk about work and maybe what wasn't going well. And my mom became a union rep and a union steward and started doing union negotiations, and it was really around how she felt they were being treated, and she was very vocal about that.
1: Oh, so it's in your DNA.
2: I think think so. so. (laughs)
1: Okay.
2: So deciding what to do in general HR, I really did enjoy the labor side. Yeah. And part of that was the impact. But I somehow have been able to really manage this ability to understand the company's perspective. And I'll sit and talk to my mom and be like, well, no, you can't just do all that. And there's Thanksgiving dinners where she'll say, how's negotiations? Are you giving them everything they want? (laughs) (laughs) And I just tell no, them we're mom. giving them what we need.
1: <laughs> no, mom. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's cute. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's uh, an intimate glimpse into your life. And uh, I appreciate you doing that. You know, there's no company that hasn't been impacted by the pandemic. Some have gotten better because of it. And so there's a boom in their business. And in some, it's been the tomb. And I think the airlines are certainly to this point, have been more in the tomb side. So what are the lessons for you and for the folks at PSA that you've gained from dealing with COVID? It's been challenging. It's been tremendously difficult, but at the same time, I'm sure there's some lessons learned at this point after 12 months.
2: There is. Efficiency. You have to be really good at what you do. You have to get good. Focusing in on being prepared I know we spent a lot of time saying you got to focus on a survival mode, but it was more than that. It's about making sure we could advance our business and our support to American on the backside of this. And that really meant being focused on having a healthy and reliable fleet and organization that would be prepared.
1: Do you feel like at this point you've been able to go from playing not to lose to trying to play to win?
2: I do. We have really been able to have great performance. So even amidst COVID and granted we're operating a smaller schedule, but I'm confident that this has set us up to stay a pack leader in the portfolio.
1: That's great. That's exciting, frankly. Yeah. You would never want to ask to go through this again, but sometimes (laughs) there can be tremendous benefits on the backside of tremendous challenge, right?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: If you think back about the journey, the last 12 months, if you could do anything different, what would that be?
2: I think resting. <laughs> really? <laughs> Taking a, a little more time in the beginning. You know, I think we were trying to be really reactive, but knowing that I know this would last for so long and, you know, you were trying to just put things in place to try to have maybe a broader strategy. I know, I think we kept thinking, oh, in two months, we'll be back to the office or by Mm -hmm. September, everybody will be back to normal. Another piece of that, I think, is just communication and maybe being a little quicker to transitioning to the virtual town halls, and connecting with leaders versus saying, oh, we'll cancel this one and the next one will be back on track.
1: I was shocked that you guys and gals weren't spending more time in each other's presence. To hear that just it was last month that you first got back together is a bit of a surprise to me. But, you know, pilots don't have a choice of working from home. Gate agents don't have a a choice there. I mean, so you've you've got people who have to show up to do their work. So what percent of your workforce who were working were working virtually versus being, you know, wherever their job normally required?
2: Probably less than 10 percent.
1: Okay, so it's not a lot of people who are not
2: No. The majority of our team members are frontline team members. Okay. So our pilots, flight attendants, mechanics, our OCC, our dispatchers, our schedulers, everybody had to be in.
1: Did you have many outbreaks of COVID?
2: We did in the beginning into certain areas like our OCC where people would work real close together.
1: For the benefit of the audience, what's the OCC? Oh,
2: yeah. It's an operational control center. So this is where we would dispatch, schedule crew route aircraft, (laughs) do our maintenance, control of day of is out of that operation. So it's kind of a nerve hub Yeah, that just keeps the day-to-day. So if you're canceling all your flights, that's the group of people who are canceling flights, rerouting crew, planning maintenance, moving aircraft.
1: You call them check-ins. They're what we also refer to as huddles. Are you still doing late in the day, like 4.50 or...
2: We do 4.30 every day.
1: Yeah. So a lot of organizations do their huddle, their check-in first thing in the morning. Some do a midday up against lunch so that they don't run long. And, And yet PSA does them 4.30 in the afternoon. If you think about how busy the airports are in the morning, And all of the moving parts and pieces and dominoes falling one way or another, you know, a plane isn't working in one particular area. It doesn't just affect that flight, right? It it affects so many other people in so many other places. So your cadence still works then to have that late afternoon. It does. Do you like it personally or does it just work out best for the team that way?
2: I do. And I actually think it works good for our operation and business that way. And maybe the huddle is just a little different, but we can plan our day, and we can say this is the most important thing I'm working on, yeah. and something more important might come along oh yeah, so it's a really good four thirty afternoon like hey, this was the most important thing, <laughs> <laughs> or nobody knew this as a yesterday, but now I right. got this update or this new directive, yeah, especially with covid I mean just the changing you can think of policies for passengers, we have just as many changing policies for team members from mask compliance, temperature checks, you know, anything else that's changing, vaccines, time off.
1: <laughs> I don't know if it's possible for you to share, but if it is, it would be interesting, I think, for us who listen in, in this podcast, a lot of us travel a lot. So how far are we from where you were in February of last year in terms of, and you don't, maybe you want to show just a big, where are airlines in general in terms of how busy they are relative to what they were a year ago?
2: Our schedule is about 60, 70%. Okay. Other airlines could be as low as still 30, 40%. Okay. You think of like your international travel.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you're running all regional jets, right? Yes. So your ability to provide space seating is pretty minimal. It's virtually non-existent because otherwise you run a plane half full. Right. At best. Okay. Well, that's a good update for us, and I really appreciate it. You know, we always ask our guests to give us that one single most important thing for a leader, and preferably at the senior level, but it may be applicable to anybody that's that's managing people at any level. What's that one thing, in your opinion, Margaret, that that person must do if they're going to run a more successful and sustainable business or team?
2: Trust themselves. There's this delicate balance between decision-making, risk, timeliness of it the impact it's going to have on the business, and just trust yourself, you know, to be able to move forward with that. I don't think there's a lot of time needed in second guessing. You made a decision. If you're doing it the right way, you're bringing people in. You just need to trust yourself. You're moving forward. We're all going into a space where we don't know Right. Nobody can, this is a whole new environment. There isn't a prescription for this. (laughs) There's no textbook.
1: (laughs) Do you often have to ask yourself or remind yourself to trust yourself? I do. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, you're very talented and you're a vital team member to the folks at PSA I know. And if I was running a team, I'd want you on it. I can tell you that. Oh, well, thank you. She's Margaret Soda, VP of HR and Labor Relations at PSA Airlines. If people would like to reach out to you and ask questions, what would be the best way for them to find you?
2: Probably my email. Do
1: you mind and sharing it?
2: Yeah, Soda at PSA com.
1: And that's S-O-D-A, correct? Correct. Well, it's always fun talking to you, but it's been especially fun getting to have you as a guest on the Ed Epley Experience. Thanks, Margaret.
0: Well, thank you, Ed. Thank you for listening to the Ed Epley Experience. For more information on building a more sustainable, smarter, and healthier business, visit www.theepleygroup.com for resources, tips, and Ed's latest blogs. That's the E-P-P-L-E-Y, group.com. Plus, take a free assessment at theepleygroup.com slash assessment to find out how you measure up as a highly skilled and accomplished manager and where to focus on improving your skills.